This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the Crusader Podcast, a show about the Castles and Crusades role-playing game. Aliyah Yakta Est, the die is cast. Welcome, everybody, to the Crusader Podcast, a podcast about the Castles and Crusades role-playing game. My name is Jesse. I'm one of your hosts here on the podcast. I'm also joined by Carl and Tyler. And today we're going to talk about what we love about Castles and Crusades. Um, We just want to go over who we are and how we got into CNC. Carl, how did you get started in Castles and Crusades? Well, I am actually from Arkansas, where, where Troll Lord is located. But I found Castles and Crusades in Chicago uh, on a road trip. Uh, Early in our marriage, my wife and I took a road trip and we went to some filming locations of a couple of our favorite movies. She loves Field of Dreams. I love the 1978 Dawn of the Dead. So we (laughs) went to the Field of Dreams filming location and we... uh, Put a wide circle through Chicago where I stopped at a game store and I picked up Castles and Crusades. And I picked it up because I was interested in getting back into role-playing games. Like many people, I had a hiatus from role-playing games that ended with marriage. (laughs) I got married, got comfortable, I was like, let's nerd it up. And I was looking to get back into RPGs, but I wanted a simpler, more streamlined, more old-school system than what was currently available, and I had, on internet forums, been told to seek out Castles and Crusades. So I did, not knowing that they were actually Arkansans like myself, and picking up the book in Chicago. So the trolls had to ship that all the way to Chicago so I could drive all the way to Chicago to buy it and bring it back to Arkansas. But, you know, uh, you know, it's everything's a journey. <laughs> That's awesome. How long ago did you find Castles and Crusades? This would have been around 2008, 2009. Yeah. Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tyler, what about you? I know that you're well in with the trolls and you do a lot of conventions with them and stuff how did you find castles and crusades claimer i i am pretty much i guess associated with or do some work with troll or games so that way if i get accused of it later on everybody will know yeah there's the company shill hey that's me no uh seriously uh, uh i'm i'm tyler morrison uh i go by tyler mo many times around the con circuit and online i guess i've been in gaming since 82 we can talk more about our gaming past later i guess but uh i i came across uh steven chenault and Tom Gray. So I kind of met some of the royalty right off the bat. Um, this was in 2003. I went to a now defunct gaming convention called Egyptian Campaign at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. Heard about it through some friends, went over there with them. And uh, a small dealer's room, just hundreds of people there. So I don't remember particular details, especially from those first couple of years, but I know I interacted with Stephen and Todd. They were still selling the third edition D&D products at the time. And of course I was playing at that time, the latest edition of, of the fantasy game, uh, the third edition. Uh, I don't remember buying a lot of products from them at that time, but I remember talking to them and I, I definitely remember conversations over those years between 03 and 07 when the trolls attended Egyptian campaign about them working with Gary Gygax. So needless to say that started conversations 
And uh, we talked just about a myriad of other things, classic rock, whatever, because we're all you know old 40s, 50s uh, nowadays. And uh, either way, uh, I guess it was probably 2005 playing my first uh, CNC game with Todd Gray there, there at Egyptian. I think he told me there had been a 2004 sort of, um, I guess, a, a play test game, maybe around the time of their little white box set that was the first release of CNC. I don't recall that I was in that. I did um, play in the 2005 game Todd had going. And by that time, they had their hardcover players handbook and monster and treasure out the old black and white hardcovers. Uh, Todd just ran a great game in the simplicity of the game. I, I think most of us go back to first edition D&D. I go back to the early 80s. Uh, my favorite editions of that game would be first and second and basic and expert and so forth. But CNC just really captured a simplicity and it just felt right. It felt like old school, but there was so much of the maybe certain things that were a little more very politely clunky or convoluted in the early years of the game, just because those guys came out of war gaming and miniatures and difficult ways of doing things back then. But there were obviously the great things like hit points and armor class and so forth. And CNC had all of that, but it also gutted some of the things. And this is not a stab at Monty Cook and, and, and Jonathan Tweet and, and, and Skip Williams, uh, but with three and three, five, I wasn't crazy in some ways about feats. I wasn't crazy about attacks of opportunity and kind of things that maybe slowed down the game. And it just kind of all came together. And I said, man, this is a great game. And uh, I kept seeing those guys at conventions, uh, especially in 2005. I went to another one. Peter Bradley was going to be at a uh, DICON over in Collinsville, Illinois. And I said, well, I'm going to that. I'm going to meet Peter, the artist. And then um, I went to Gen Con and met Davis Chenault and the rest of the, uh, uh, Troll Lord gang, uh, you know, and I just kept seeing them at Gen Con and various cons over the years. And then I guess it was probably 2010 when I finally said, uh, you know, I got in touch with Steve and said, hey, I go to a lot of cons. Uh, I'm passionate about your game. Would you like somebody to go around these other cons you guys don't go to? And uh, long story short, that's kind of how it uh, came together. And he was crazy enough to say, OK, and they sent me product. And I've been doing that ever since. And um in a, in a variety of other roles now too, you know, on Facebook and conventions. And occasionally I come up with an idea out of a million that maybe Steven says, that's pretty cool. But uh, as far as CNC, it is definitely my fantasy game of choice. And I was a customer before I ever worked for the company in any capacity. I, I bought the stuff for five years during that time. Love it. It's just, uh, it does all sorts of, of great things. I'm kind of like Cy Sperling of the hair club for men. Not only, uh, do I work for Troller Games? I was a player and customer, so I I, I can say that uh, honestly. Cool, yeah. The trolls are such down to earth guys. They're just gamers like us. I found Castles and Crusades in 2007. I was at Gen Con, and Gary Gygax was the guest of honor that year. During the opening ceremony, like he rolled the big dice that they have out there and stuff. I, I somehow found out that he would be at the Troll Lords booth. Um, I was playing Third Edition at the time. Was loving Third Edition. But I always stuck to like the core books. I didn't ever let my players really expand and use all these other splat books that were coming out. So I was already kind of looking for a simpler game. I went to the Troll Lords booth uh, to see Gary because I had to thank him because he had played such a pivotal role in my life and I had met so many friends because of D&D. And he was there and I got to talk to him. I think I was the first person at the booth that year. 
And he told me a little bit about Castles and Crusades. And I kind of felt awkward just standing there. So I picked up the Monsters and Treasure, the Player's Handbook, and he sold me on it. And really, I've, I've spread out and played other games, but I always go back to Castles and Crusades. It's funny you uh, mentioned the, the Gary Gygax thing. I was actually there. I, I wanted to condense my already long story at that point. But yeah, I, I met Gary there as well. And uh, what a great moment that was. I mean, I, I mainly just told him about you know, how I got into gaming uh, through some uh, new friends in middle school back in 82. And that, you know, my association with the trolls just as kind of the, the fanboy groupie of having known uh, some of those guys for a handful of years at that point. And really cool just to, to see him real nice guy and uh, just a, a, a once in a lifetime chance to, to meet him. No doubt. Yeah. I got to spend a good 10, 15 minutes probably talking to him. Getting into Castles and Crusades opened me up to the OSR in general. Um, I started on the Holmes uh, basic set for D&D, and like a mixture of that and first edition, I actually played it with my mom because she played it back in the day. That's how I started. Once I got Castles and Crusades and realized I liked that old-style game, um, I started going to old-school conventions, playing different old-school games, and that's really uh, been formative of, of my gaming life now and the people that I've introduced to role-playing all through Castles and Crusades. Yeah, I have a similar experience. I, I started with the Rules Cyclopedia. My parents taught me to play Dungeons & Dragons, and I played other editions and newer editions as they came out. We quickly switched to 2nd edition and then switched to 3rd edition when it came out. But Castles and Crusades was also my entryway back into uh, the old-school rule sets that I really have come to vastly prefer. What I want to bring to this podcast is somebody who sees the potential in not only how easy it is to convert to Castles and Crusades, but how easy it is to convert from Castles and Crusades. They call themselves the Rosetta Stone of role-playing games for a reason, and it has everything you need to run anything in it, or it has what you need to run it in anything. It certainly does, and I, I remember kind of when I first got into gaming, I guess probably back in 82, I have a variety of memories. We are in a town of 16,000, so we had about four elementary schools, and of course, if you were born in the early 70s like I was, you couldn't help age-wise but be a child of the Star Wars generation. Everybody was. The jocks were Star Wars fans before they were jocks even, you know, and so we all had that in common when we all came together at the, the same middle school, and I met this curly-haired guy in a, one of these quarter classes we had, like art and music and some other vocational-type classes, and he's sitting there drawing a picture, and I said, who's that? And he said, that's Bilbo Baggins, and bam, there went the conversation. So, oh, yeah, tell me more about that. He was one of the people, for sure, that introduced me to The Hobbit, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia books, but also D&D. I remember another guy that I stayed the night with a few times at his house, and I didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but he had the Moldvay basic set from the early 80s. You can't forget that Errol Otis cover. It's just one of the definitive fantasy covers. And, and then, of course, I played Gamma World with some kid in art class back in 82, just at a state of night kind of thing, second edition. So those were some early experiences. And then we were playing Star Frontiers, Fossa Star Trek, Fossa Doctor Who, uh, tons of games they bought that we never got around to playing. We played Indiana Jones TSR, the James Bond role-playing game, uh, obviously Star Wars D6, Marvel superheroes, and just tons of things. And obviously D&D was in there as well. And just some of the best years of my life. And, and we stayed at that off and on. Kind of some of us drifted a little bit in college, but we still gamed periodically. Not as much, though, in the early 90s. 
got a little Star Wars or Shadowrun second in there, or maybe D&D uh, second. But my real uh, renaissance with gaming, I guess, uh, or, you know, the kind of the return really happened, I think, in 1996. I bought what you'd call the D&D 2.5 books. And we uh, we just I played more uh, probably in the last 22 years, even than I did back in the 80s and early 90s. It's funny. I took my uh, leave of absence from gaming after Finding Castles and Crusades. Just a year or two after that, I went off to college and then eventually met my wife, everything like that, started to settle down and then decided to get back into gaming. There's something about the comfort of being an old married man that you're just like, I'm going to <laughs> Exactly. Who it's, am I it's... trying to impress at this point? <laughs> you go for full circle. I had tried uh, to get her into role playing with a different game and uh, she couldn't get into it because it was too much so i was like well i got this other game castles and crusades i like it better anyway let's just start playing that and we did and now she's just as hooked on role playing as i am and she wants to go to conventions i think more than i do <laughs> to be honest like uh is a big part of of our marriage is, is is gaming so it's awesome it's fantastic okay so what have you guys been doing in gaming recently well i uh recently with my wife ran arkansas rpg con it was fantastic. It was a great success. Uh, we had 35 games and about 120 gamers playing games. And I actually ran Castles and Crusades at Arkansas RPG Con and uh, uh, got to play with some um, people uh, who were uh, involved in Castles and Crusades from an early point. And that's uh, Mike and Liz Stewart who are podcasters themselves. They're on Save for Half and uh, had a, a good time. I, I it was not the best game I'd ever run, but, uh, you know, I was tired and running a con at the same time. So that's part of that. But it was still a lot of fun. Did you get any newbies to play that had never played Castles and Crusades before? I got three uh, new people who had never played Castles and Crusades before. That's one of my favorite things about cons is getting new people to play. Okay, awesome. Tyler, what about you? Well, um, I guess you, you would think as long as I've kind of known the trolls and everything that, that there would have been heavy CNC playing since, let's say, 2005 when the first hardcovers came out for the uh, core books. But oddly enough, back then, because sometimes it was hard to get players, you know, especially if it wasn't brand A game or whatever, I didn't play as much CNC except mainly at conventions. Most of my game running really began in 2010. And kind of bringing up to the modern day, I guess a lot of times I was running convention games and selling product, but also running some campaigns at home. We, we did uh, some partial run-throughs of the A-series and, I don't know, 2011, 2013 range and some other one-shots, obviously, conventions. And one thing I've been doing lately, uh, just started this uh, two months ago or so, a couple of people, a uh, lady friend and a, a longtime older friend of mine, and uh, we played through uh, initially part of Dark Journey, which is one of the uh, three-level 100-room mega dungeons from, from Trollord Games. And it's kind of a first through third-level thing, and I thought I'm going to randomly throw this thing into, I think, the Southern March or just east of the Elkhorn Deeps on the World of Aired map. And uh, we played that for a while. One of them's playing a wild elf uh, uh, knight, and another one is playing a half-elven cleric. And I'm playing about all the things I have planned for it. I'm kind of playing and uh, CKing the game. I'm playing a, uh, a gnome who's a, a cleric and a rogue, uh, Brother Farkle, Jamrick Farkle. And he's kind of this crazy character. And, uh, you know, we, we did that for a little while. We had my character randomly meet up with theirs. And we explored just a few rooms in that first level of Dark Journey. And I let them kind of decide. And I just kind of follow along 
Uh, they said, let's go do something else. So we get back on the road and I inserted another old adventure. You mentioned uh, Mike Stewart and, and, and he authored uh, Shadows of Halfling Hall. And it's a great adventure. Just kind of threw it in that area of air. Didn't take time to think about, well, would there be this halfling community there in the middle of all this? Just put it in there and it worked. We just wrapped that up recently. And I've got plans to move them into uh, some random encounters, some overland travel encounters, but then also throwing in maybe a few uh, adventures that aren't a part of that uh, particular region. And then moving into some that are like in the Elkhorn Deeps or in the uh, Road Oak Mountains, which would be your adventures like uh, Lure of Delusion and uh, Dwarven Glory. And then I've got some plans to swing them on around into. And now they're, li- I can't say too much. They're probably listening <laughs> at some point, but uh, another another series of adventures. And so that's kind of what we've got going on recently. Um, my kids, uh, unfortunately, I'm divorced. So during the school year, I, I lose a lot of time with them except on the weekends here and there. My daughter would play occasionally. If you've got enough women in there, then she'll say, oh yeah, old ladies are playing. I'll play the game now. But my son, he he and I, we, we tend to gravitate toward the board games and RPGs a bit more. And he has played a couple of games in the past, but he joined us last time around uh, with this crazy character, Gand Badolf. And this was some weird idea that he would have a uh, character a couple of years ago named Gandalf Batman. I said, nah, that's too crazy. And so we came up with Gan Badolf. But either way, he played with us and kind of came in as a ranger fighter uh, who was tracking some kobolds. And it really, I worked him in pretty fluidly into the story and everything. It seemed natural. And then when he's back next weekend, he'll join us as we uh, try and go uh, take care of some kobolds that are plaguing this uh, halfling community. So there's there's your long story of what we're doing as of late. Okay. Batgan. Um, <laughs> Batgan. That's the name, right? Gan Batoff. Make it work. Don't get my son. Crusader arrives precisely when he means it. So on my end, I'm playing... Mutant Craw Classics on Mondays at my local gaming store. That's pretty fun. Um, and I'll soon be alternating Mondays. So we'll be playing Mutant Craw Classics one Monday, and then the following Monday I'll be running a Castles and Crusades game. There's four people playing in that, and they've never played CNC before. So I'm excited awesome. to get them in it. Um, I think I'm going to start with A2, Assault on Black Tooth Ridge, which is one that I often run at cons, and it's Probably my second favorite CNC module that I've read so far. Um, so I'm excited to get that started. I also have a Friday group that plays at my house, and we are just also kicking off a new campaign. It's going to be a homebrew one, and we've just got through the first session. Uh, they've just arrived in this desert town where none of the adults can sleep. The children are fine, but the adults are going crazy from insomnia. And there's a volcano nearby that's just starting to erupt. And it's triggered a landslide that has revealed like this huge gargantuan corpse that's laying up against the mountain. That's many stories tall. They're going to go check that out next week. On top of that, it's not a real convention. It started off kind of as a joke. But this has been my last week was my fourth annual Bailey Con, which I run at my house. So it's three days of gaming, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And... It's always chaos. <laughs> so we had 20-some people jumping in and out over the three days. I ran a Castles and Crusades game, and we played countless other games, too. So I've that, had a lot of gaming going that on. That is how Arkansas RPG Con started. It was a convention at our house. Oh, really? And nice. it outgrew our house. So you're, you're well on your way. 
Was your con Carl Con, I guess? Yes, actually. When it first started, I had talked with my wife about birthday plans, and I was like, I kind of want to just get everybody together and play games. And so we did Carl Con, and then we started doing it on other people's birthdays. So it would be like my brother's name, Con, or my sister's name is Con. My entire family games, by the way. Um, uh, my mom and dad and my uh, sisters and brothers and their spouses all game. And my nieces and nephews game. I mean, we are a gaming group, you know, in and of ourselves. Family that games together stays together. Yes. That's but, that's um, awesome. I'm also lucky with that. Uh, my parents and my brother, we all play together too. Awesome. Oh, that's that's amazing. I know I know you mentioned earlier uh the assault on Blacktooth Ridge and then and, and not to you know, and I'm sure we'll do an episode on various uh, product features, uh, you know, uh, and and perhaps reviews and things down the road. But yeah, that that assault on Blacktooth Ridge, which has been around since some of the earliest years of CNC, and that's a great adventure. And then of course the precursor adventure, A Zero: The Rising Night. Both of those were written by uh, Davis Chenault, one of the uh, famed Chenault brothers, and one of the two main co-authors of CNC along with uh, Matt Golden. And yeah, A Zero: The Rising Night and Blacktooth Ridge. We've had a lot of people comment. It's not just me talking that have said these two are uh, kind of modern day classics. They we we do get a lot of comments on those among others. Yeah, that's it's a great adventure. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you Carl. I was, was still hearing about Carl Khan. Oh, um yeah, Carl Khan and then it became if I, we we kind of decided like this is getting kind of ridiculous, let's just name it something, and so my nephew decided to call it Evercon for everybody, uh, which was cool. It was that for years and years and years, and then I started shifting my focus away because it was a board game party with role playing games mixed in. And I just started realizing I get so much more out of a role playing game than I do out of a board game that. Um, when we started Arkansas RPG Con, what I wanted to do is bring together people who were specifically interested in role-playing games. Um, because to me, that level of connection is just a little bit deeper than people who play board games. You know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a more, I don't know what the right word is, but you put more at risk when you sit down to play a role-playing game. Than when you play a board game, there's a social interaction aspect to it that does not exist in any other type of game. Absolutely. Well, most board games, not all, but most are competitive, right? So when you sit down with strangers to compete, that's one thing. Uh, but when you sit down with a group of strangers where you have to work together uh, so closely like you do with a band of adventurers. It's amazing how you can sit down with four or five other people that live in different places throughout the country or the world even. And four hours later, your typical con time, uh, you guys are good friends, you know, and you keep in touch and, and you learn a lot about each other. And like you said, it is like a, you do got to put yourself out there more for a role-playing game. All right. So now we're going to go into the prime topic. This is a part of the crusader podcast where we will go over the main topic of the night. Um, and for the first one, we thought the best thing to do would just be talk about what the Crusader podcast is going to be, where it's got its beginnings, and where we want it to go. So I kind of um, am a, a podcast addict. I listen to a lot of them. I work at a desk, so I constantly listen to them all day long. And there's a ton of really good role-playing 
podcasts out there, a lot of old school role playing podcasts. And I realized that Castles and Crusades didn't have its own podcast. It's been featured on other podcasts, but I feel like it deserves its own. I feel that even though it's a simple game, there's so much to talk about. And I threw the idea out there to the Facebook group. It got a ton of positive feedback and a lot of people that would be interested in doing it. Um, So I hooked up with Carl and Tyler here, and we're going to do our best to look at Castles and Crusades and really explore its implications and what the game has to offer that may differ from other old school games. My vision for the podcast is to just bring another layer of, I don't know if I'd call it fandom, to Castles and Crusades. Other games really get a big push from their fans. And I know that Castles and Crusades fans are out there. I see them at conventions, but they don't seem to be as vocal as other fan bases. And I want to do my part to try to bring Castles and Crusades to the forefront through different types of media. Uh, How do you guys feel about that? I think it was a a great idea. It seems like one of the times I was writing to Wisconsin with with Stephen Chenault that he had said, you know, because I've worked in radio for, I guess, 17 years or whatever, that you you ought to do something like that, you know, because of my passion with the with the topic and, and, and that sort of thing and, and the experience and all that. And I, and I thought about it at different times and just, you know, sometimes you get busy. So I, when you initially proposed the uh, podcast on Facebook, I thought this is a great idea. I, I want to get involved in this because it was always kind of a tempting in the back of your mind sort of thing, because it, it the game does deserve its uh, moment in the sun, I guess, as far as podcasting is concerned. You know, I think, you know, we've got a good team here assembled to kind of spread the uh, message and because we all have a genuine passion about, see and see there are just so many things we can explore and uh, not to mention you know there may be future interviews with uh, people like Stephen Chenault or uh, Davis and other people who've contributed to CNC uh, and we could I think have a lot of great interviews as it relates to those uh, writing or who have written for CNC and then not to mention just uh, we could get deep into the Castle Keepers guidebook and talk about optional rules and maybe things that people aren't thinking to utilize um, homebrew rules there's any number of directions we can go with this so i i I think it's a great thing when you originally pitched it in the facebook group i uh uh, said that i would not be a good pick for this show but i am willing to help in any other way i can and the reason i said that is because typically when i play a fantasy rpg i play basic expert dungeons and dragons i am on save or die as one of the current hosts uh, which is devoted to classic uh dungeons and dragons however i'm still extremely fond of castles and crusades i remember saying that i don't think i would be a good pick for this show but i'd be willing to help out uh in any other way and i was willing to do bumpers for you and do your editing but your enthusiasm for castles and crusades while we were talking kind of bolstered my own enthusiasm for this system and i was like Dang it, I want in. I want in now. I want to talk about this game. So I'm very enthusiastic about the system. I'm very enthusiastic about the podcast. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad that you joined because I think you were the first person that commented on my Facebook post. I was like, oh, that's the save or die guy. (laughs) And then we got talking. And then once you said, you know, maybe I am interested in this, I got really excited because I was like, here's somebody that actually knows what they're doing. Um, Well, I wouldn't give me that much credit, but... (laughs) Hey, it's going to make the learning curve so much better. And Tyler, when I put that Facebook post up there, I had my fingers crossed because I'm like, if there's anybody out there that can talk about CNC 
it's Tyler. So hopefully yeah, he would be interested. <laughs> and so it, it played out perfectly. Yeah. You know, I, I really just do have a genuine passion for the game. I mean, it, as soon as I played it back in 05, that, that far back and uh, the joy that I get out of playing the game. And I think there's just so many factors for me that really make me uh, interested in CNC and continuing that, that long journey of, of, of initially being a customer and buying the game and playing all those demo games for years and then running my own and then eventually asking them to work with them. And it's just because they're such great people at the, at the end of the day as well, Steven and Davis and, and Todd and the whole bunch. And uh, I, I encourage anybody to go out to conventions and, and meet these fine folks. They're really great. But I know when you posted that on Facebook, I remember thinking, Oh, I'm glad I saw this because I thought this is great. Somebody's going to go through with it. They're asking for help. And I thought, man, I've got to get in on that. I, I really love this game and, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. No doubt about it. Well, I think it says a lot about the game that there's people that are willing to take time out of their lives to promote it and want to be involved with it. There's other games that I really loved back in the day. I never felt the need to really be involved in it other than playing every week. But Castles and Crusades means a lot to me. So it's something that I'm willing to go out there and try to get in the hands of other people. It's a great game and it offers a lot. And, you know, there's some things that I don't like about Castles and Crusades, but the the vast majority of the game I love, and I love getting it out there for people. Um, this recent group that I started, it's actually, there's five women in it and me and one other guy. And I was able to put that game into their hands, and they learned it, and they loved it. We've branched out to other games we always go back to Castles and Crusades. Even the big game, you know, they wanted to try it. We tried it, and they like Castles and Crusades better. So we go back to it. I kind of liken, we were talking earlier, and I think Carl made a comment about, like, earlier I had said something about, you know, I'm not dogging on any editions of the fantasy game because so many of those early editions, uh, first and second and BX and and a few others around that time, are some of my favorites, uh, no doubt, hands down. And uh, but CNC, I think, has the benefit. If I were to put it this way, you look back and, and people talk about music like, uh, let's say, blues guitar players and people say, oh, yeah, Robert Johnson and um, and B.B. King and Albert Collins and Buddy Guy and all of that. And and then you'll get somebody occasionally, not often. Most people have the respect, but you'll get somebody that says, yeah, but in the end, Stevie Ray Vaughan will smoke those guys. And yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan will probably smoke those guys as far as technical ability and his playing and his speed when he was still with us. But he had the um, he was able to build upon the past. I kind of liken CNC to that as well. Yeah, the phrase um, "standing on the shoulders of giants" comes to mind. CNC is extremely elegant, but it took that perfect firestorm for them to even be able to do it. And I, you know, I liken CNC in its creation to 1974. You know, they were they were figuring out things when they were creating castles and crusades just like people were still figuring out things in the early uh life of dungeons and dragons because cnc sort of was the one to dip the toe into the osr pool you know the the ogl pool i guess i should say um and test those waters and see what works and what doesn't and take that risk and so you know, they are there. That's a defining moment for role playing games in general, but especially fantasy role playing games. 
Absolutely. Uh, I mean, they really did start the OSR. You know, it's they were the first ones, like you said, that took that risk. And no matter what your favorite OSR game is, it, it does have ties to CNC. You know, oddly enough, and, and Steven or somebody could address this far better, they were among the some of the initial companies in that entire open gaming license movement, you know, I think along with maybe Necromancer and some other companies. A handful of those now are still around, and we, we could probably get into a list of, I don't know, is it less than one hand of the original companies that started out in 2000, uh, like uh, Troller Games did. But there, and there are obviously some others who have come along later. But yeah, the of the original companies, they, they you know they went out there and, and did that. And well, initially, 3E product for a while, but then by 04 and 05, when we saw the release of the white box set for CNC and and the uh, first printings of the uh, Monster and Treasure and Players Handbook, and yeah, they just they they had the benefit of being able to to build upon that. And then of course the key thing, and I know we'll be talking about this in the future, the Siege Engine mechanic. Hey, well, the, the future the future is now. So let's just talk about the Siege Engine now. So if we boil down the Siege Engine to what it what it truly is, it's an attribute check system that Castles and Crusades runs off. It takes the place of saving throws uh, that were in the previous games. So it, it replaces the subsystems of first edition. A lot of those were with D6s. And it replaced the first edition saves against Dragon's Breath, saves against Poison, and all that. Oh, the charts for the rogue, you know, as far as percentage chance to climb or percentage chance to do this, and they have a breakdown yep. of how that worked with it the rogue. It took all of that, and then, like, all the skills and some of the feats and the three primary saving throws from 3rd edition, it took all those subsystems and it made it very simple. It's just an attribute role. And when you create your character, you have prime attributes and secondary attributes. If it's a prime attribute, the Castle Keeper sets the difficulty level. It starts at 12, and then they make modifications up or down based off the situation. So, for instance, if your character was trying to swim across a river, that would simply be a strength check. And if it's a prime attribute, it starts at 12 and it goes up. So if it's a raging river, maybe the castle keeper is going to add plus four to that. So now your character needs to get a 16 or higher. If it's a secondary attribute, you know, that starts at 18. That plus four situational modifier still counts. So now you're at a 22 and it's harder for a character that doesn't have strength as a prime attribute. And that's it. That's all there is to it. Like Tyler said, with some of the spells, you know, you just need to know which attribute that you're making the check against. And that's all there is to it. And that was one of the most refreshing things about Castles and Crusades and the other Siege Engine games. What that allows is for a game to feel like it has a skill system without having a skill system. Because I dislike tacking a skill system on to a class system. I think skill systems by themselves are fine. I think class systems by themselves are fine. I think when you try to adhere those two to each other, it just doesn't work because a class system in its nature is already a skill system, but it lacks that customization that you see with being able to say, I want to be a dexterous fighter, or I want to be an intelligent thief, kind of like a con man, I want to be a roguish cleric, like a snake oil salesman. You're absolutely able to do that within the confines of the Siege Engine and Castles and Crusades. And really, 
allow some customization for characters without your character becoming this list of skills where you go well, what's my character's perception skill and what's my character's rope use skill and what's my character's riding skill and climbing and basket weaving and you know athletics <laughs> you don't have to yeah. jump into all this because they're all derived from stats anyway it boils everything down just to that list of statistics that everybody who plays any version of any fantasy game that correlates back to the original fantasy game uh, are familiar with. Absolutely. Well, like it's it's nice because it's, your character, like you said, is not just a list of attributes. And they say right in, right in the um, Castle Keeper section of the player's handbook that you shouldn't even be rolling unless there's a good chance of failure. You know, it's like going back to the river thing. If it's just a regular river, you don't need to roll for that, you know, and, and that's another aspect of it that's freeing. Sure. You know, another thing, too, is that um, a lot of people, especially maybe in later versions of the game, uh, could say, well, I use my I'm trying to remember for sure athletic skill or I use this skill rather. Uh, the, I think the siege engine and maybe other games as well. It all, it, sometimes it comes down to the players, the players make the game as far as the mechanics or anything about the game, just the enjoyment of the session itself. But, but CNC lends itself very well to hopefully encouraging people and, and the castle keepers should definitely be encouraging their players to do this. It's not, you know, like in a lot of games, you might just say, well, I pick up my D20, I roll my uh, athletics to see if I do this or if I jump over this or climb this or whatever. Whereas you can get a little more detailed. Uh, if your rogues up in that tree and you're out on a branch instead of just saying, well, I swing on this vine that's here and I make my role, whatever appropriate skill role, uh, the, 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 the character playing the rogue can say, but I want to do this. I, if there's a vine there, I'd like to swing on this vine. Then maybe I'll do a couple of flips in the air. And then when I come down, I'll do a tumble and then a handstand. Or they could go as simple as they want and just do a standard kind of swing. Obviously, the castle keeper would then be obligated to raise the difficulty or keep it a little lower. But obviously, if you're going to do something Olympian, you'd, you'd raise the number. But either way, it's to encourage the players. And the Siege Engine does it so well to use their imagination and not just, well, I just roll the 20 and see if I make the athletic skill or if I make this skill or whatever. Uh, you, you can be very descriptive and bring so much more out of the game through the Siege Engine itself. Definitely. It, it really is something that can just be done on the fly. You don't have to, well, is this athletics or is this acrobatics? No, it's just a dexterity check. So everybody, that's our first episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and we'd love to get your feedback. Uh, I really want to get a voice out there for Castles and Crusades fans. So we do have a, a Gmail account. It's thecrusaderpodcast at gmail.com. I'm working on getting a voicemail phone number for us soon, so you will be able to call in. Um, and I'll be posting on the Facebook group. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback. What do you guys want out of the Crusader podcast? And just let us know how we're doing. Jesse, might we say some games may change, but the Siege Engine remains the same. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a wrap.
and remember all say it in unison. Yeah, Everybody, oh, yeah, one, two, three. Some games change, <laughs> but the, yeah, right. nobody else is doing it. <laughs>